epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. When you're an American Express Platinum card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. On this edition of our show, I'll be joined by Florida State head coach Leonard Hamilton and during my fast break interview, Indiana's Juwan Morgan. But before we get to that, here in segment one, I want to go over a couple of headlines from this past week, leading off with the schedules that were released in the ACC and the Big East. In terms of the ACC, very interesting that the UNC and Duke games are going to be the latest start to that series that we've ever seen, February 20th and March 9th. These games have always been must-see TV between the two schools. Now, people sometimes wonder, why does it happen so late? Well, I can tell you, a lot of it has to do with television. I can't specifically say why February 20th, but most of the time, television partners, i.e. ESPN, has always wanted, and the ACC, they want these games to be played later in the season to incur the largest television audience, and not that you wouldn't get a great audience in early January, but also it just makes sense to have your two highest-profile teams in your league play when all eyes are watching the sport toward the end of the regular season, and then it adds even more meaning because you're coming toward the end of the regular season. And so on February 20th and March 9th, you're going to have these two powers meet twice in the final few weeks of the regular season. I love the fact, and it's on a rotation schedule, I get it. But finally, finally, Duke and Virginia will play twice in the same season. Uh, I'd love it if it happened all the time. First game, January 19th, is at Duke. Second game, February 9th, Duke at Virginia. By the way, Virginia, how about this for a back-to-back? And in the ACC, this is going to occur. Virginia hosts Duke on the 9th. They are at North Carolina on February 11th. Those are the ACC ones that certainly jump out at me. They're not the only schools that can compete for the top. You'll hear from Florida State head coach Leonard Hamilton, who certainly thinks that the Seminoles have a shot. We know Syracuse feels that way. Of course, Virginia, Duke, and Carolina all legitimately think they can win the ACC regular season. In the Big East, there's some that are jumping out at me. I can tell you right now, the fact that Jay Wright on this podcast last week said Butler could be the team to beat, well, circle, January 22nd, Villanova at Butler. Not until later in the season does Butler go to Villanova, but that first one, Villanova at Butler, where Butler's had a lot of success against Villanova, that will certainly be a significant date, January 22nd. Think about this little pair for Villanova. Obviously, their highest profile team in the league. Georgetown at Nova. That's on February 3rd. 
February 9th, Nova Marquette. I think Georgetown and Marquette are going to be two of the more improved teams in the league. Those are two circle games, in addition to that Butler game, for Villanova. And then, I'm going to continue on the Villanova stretch here. How about this stretch for them? February 17th and 20th at St. John's at Georgetown. That's going to be significant as well. And then March 9th, the last day of the Big East regular season, you've got Villanova at Seton Hall, Georgetown at Marquette, St. John Xavier, Butler Providence, DePaul Creighton. I'm going to tell you, I think on that last day of the Big East regular season, those games are going to have a major impact on the seeding of the Big East tournament. You may not know any of the seeds 1 to 10 until March 9th. The two biggest days, by the way, for the Big East and the non-conference, circle them right now. I'm going to give you three. November 14th, Michigan at Villanova and Marquette at Indiana. Those are part of the Gavit games. Hugely significant for the Big East. December 1st, Gonzaga at Creighton, K-State at Marquette. Gonzaga could be top five, will be top five in the country. And Kansas State will be picked either one or two in the Big 12. And then December 8th, Kentucky plays Seton Hall and Wisconsin at Marquette. These are all significant dates for the Big East in the non-conference. The ACC, they always play great non-conference, especially in the Maui invitation with Duke and Gonzaga in there. So for for Duke to potentially play Gonzaga, I'm not worried about that. But in a Big East, it's a rebuilding just a little bit because they lost a lot of seniors. You know, those are the ones that are jumping out to me the most at this juncture. All right, when we come back, I'm just going to go over my rankings for some of the impact freshmen that we posted on NCAA.com last week. All right, this next segment, I want to address my top 15 impact freshmen that we posted on NCAA.com. I had Zion Williamson from Duke and R.J. Barrett from Duke. Uh, those two guys could go one and two in the NBA draft. Now, right off the bat, you're going to say, okay, how could you have two Duke players? You're trying to spread the wealth. Well, I was trying to spread the wealth, but I just felt it was just overwhelmingly true that two Duke players had to be on this list. So the criticism really flowed in when I did not have Keldon Johnson from Kentucky on this list. And I will take that as a mistake. I probably should have taken two Kentucky players like I did two from Duke. I had Tyler Hero, who was great on their trip to the Bahamas, as the one Kentucky player. So do it again. I would have Keldon Johnson on the list from Kentucky. You can argue the order all fair. Uh, Nasir Little from North Carolina, Romeo Langford from Indiana, Tyler Hero from Kentucky. Keep in mind, this is not on their NBA talent. This is on their impact on their team. Darius Garland from Vanderbilt, uh, Javon Quinterly from Villanova, point guard, Quentin Grimes from Kansas, uh, Jordan Brown from Nevada, finally having a low post threat. Marcus Bingham from Michigan State. He'll compliment Nick Ward very well. Charles Bassey from Western Kentucky, who's going to potentially change the outcome of the Conference USA. So that's impact again. Sharif O'Neal. I'm not saying that Keldon Johnson's better than O'Neal. It's the impact that he would have on there. But it's a fair criticism. Johnson should have been on this list. uh, And I really was not beholden to a certain number. Bull Bull from Oregon. And then uh, I finished up with Naz Reed from LSU, a big man to compliment Tremont Waters. And I ended with David Duke of Providence, who I think will be one of the more impact freshmen in the Big East. So fair criticism. I have no problem you want to criticize me on that as well. My top six men to starters that was on NCAA.com, Matt Harms from Purdue. I think he will be the most impactful reserve who will now be a starter. 
DeAndre Hunter from Virginia. I put him 1A, if you will. Armani Brooks from Houston. Remy Martin from Arizona State. Quaddy Green from Kentucky, who I think will be the regular starter. Jericho Sims from Texas. Savian Flagg from Texas A&M. They're going to need a monster year out of him. Javon Blair from Georgetown. Uh, Herb Jones from Alabama. Uh, those are some of the guys that definitely jump out at, jumped out to me as players who will have a major impact going from the bench to a starting role. When I come back here on March Madness 365, Florida State head coach Leonard Hamilton. I want you to make sure you listen to the back end of this. I want you to listen the whole way through. Very interesting about how Leonard Hamilton just chills out. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Florida State head coach Leonard Hamilton. And the Seminoles were in the Elite Eight last season for the third time in school history. Leonard, I would say consistently, for whatever reason, I always feel like Florida State is sort of underappreciated, undervalued, and I thought last March was another great example. You guys uh, were in sort of the middle of the pack of the ACC, people maybe didn't take you enough seriously, and then boom, you're in the Elite Eight with a chance to go to the Final Four. Uh, Look back on that run, what stands out to you as to how that occurred? Well, we, we had some unfortunate injuries in the beginning of the year that kind of kept us from getting a little bit in sync, which happens to a lot of teams. And as, as we got healthier and got more in sync and we improved on the defensive end, I could just see you know, us realizing our potential a little bit. My 74 kid, Kamaji, had a stress fracture. Uh, my best point guard, Trent Forrest, he had a bone bruise that kept him out seven weeks. And then my best shooter, Savoy, he had a bone bruise as well. Savoy did. We were able to hang on, but it's it just a couple of little things that kind of kept us from, from getting, you know, confidence in each other and, and coming together. And, and I, at the end of the season, we got healthier. Uh, we got more and more confident. And I, and I thought that we, we had a lot of up and down during the, and during the season. I was a little bit disappointed that we didn't play a little bit better during the regular season. But once we got healthy and started playing better defense, and, you know, I thought that, you know, we really, really made a lot of progress. We lost, what, four seniors the year before, four starters the year before. So we still had some growing that we had to do. And I think the maturation process took its hold toward the end of the season. I thought we were a team that had potential. I thought maybe they'd, they'd go all the way. So you guys have been the third winningest team in the ACC since 2005-06. You're right behind Duke and North Carolina. And that consistency, I think, also is in line with how difficult a team you guys are to face. Uh, I mean, opposing coaches will say that time and time again, the length, the ability to sort of get to the rim is very difficult. You just mentioned the seven foot four Kamaji. Uh, you've not always had someone that size, but you've usually had players with size or with length. Uh, what has made your Florida State teams in that last 12 years uh, so difficult to face? Well, I think what, we, what we've done, we kept tweaking our offense. Early on, the recruiting process was such that we, we recruited who we could recruit, and we adjusted our system to the players that we had. Now we have our system in, and we are able to recruit to our system, which keeps us a little bit more consistent with our development our program. And I, I think we are now playing more of a style of ball. You know, we, we won the highest possession teams in the ACC. Uh, we've always been a pretty good defensive team, but uh, we have, I think we've improved ourselves offensively. 
and, and I think that we have just grown and we are more comfortable and we are much more consistent with uh, the system that we run in. And there's a lot of carryover from one year to the other. And I think we're becoming more and more of a confident team that plays well together. Secondly, I think what I've realized that it's very difficult because of the, the tradition of the, the programs in our league, the success that they've had over the years. And I think it's been difficult for us maybe to get the top five or six players as some of the other top programs have been doing. So what we've done, we've tried to win games by committee. So it's not unusual for us to play 10, 11 players in the first 10 minutes of the game and not lose very much because I think we have players who are in close proximity from a talent standpoint. So we're able to play with a lot more effort for longer periods of time. And we are similar in terms of length and size and skills. And, and so I think we've been able to some more or less win games by committee. And our kids have bought in to being unselfish, playing, sharing playing time, sharing the ball, and understanding that we have to play uh, 100% every possession on the court. The culture has improved and we have a better understanding now of how we have to win and compete in a great, great conference like the ACC. You know, you mentioned recruiting and, you know, I'm just curious, do you go in to each, you know, sort of cluster of years, you know, if you know you're going to have a couple guys back uh, over a two or three year period and say, you know what, I need at least two guys that are going to be, you know, with a wingspan of X or are going to be at least 6'9 to 6'11 because it seems like you always have a collection of those guys up front and, and, and some teams struggle to find one. And I just feel like, and I don't have data to back this up, it just feels like you always have at least two to three to four that fit that criteria. Well, we try to be long and athletic. Early on in, in, in our existence at Florida State, we were athletic and long but it wasn't the skilled offensively. Now that we've improved our skill level, we still like long, lean uh, athletes from a defensive standpoint because we like to take away vision, get deflections, block shots, and be a little bit more disruptive on the defensive end. And we want to be quick enough and athletic enough to get downhill and attack the basket and finish at the rim. So, so that's been basically our philosophy, and we recruit with that philosophy in mind. So going into this season, you guys have 75% of your scoring back, 76% of the rebounding. Uh, you know, Terrence Mann, uh, Christ Kamaji, Phil Kofer uh, back after a medical red shirt. You know, you were saying two seasons ago, you know, you lost a lot. And then sort of things were sort of a little sideways at times last season. Then you picked it up at the end. How confident are you that this group from day one could maybe pick up the way you finished? Well, I feel very confident that we're capable of doing that if we can just keep everybody healthy. We've had a lot of knickknacks and injuries and things uh, that we've had to overcome in the off season, but I think there it doesn't appear that anything is serious going to keep us from being a hundred percent at some point early on here in, in the season. I really feel good about this team. We registered three kids last year that didn't play at all. They had minimum kinds of practices. They had different issues, the tendonitis and ankle issues, and things of that nature, but they are familiar with our program. I feel with the, the transfer we have, David Nichols from Albany uh, is going to be a more more than an adequate uh, point guard for us as, as well. Uh, we have another freshman coming in, Devin Vassell from Atlanta, who's 6A player of the year. So I do feel that the quality of our depth maybe have, has increased a little bit. Uh, now what we have to do is just get everybody healthy. I'm excited about this team. We shot 30 
65% from three-point last year, and we only shot 69% from the free-throw line. I, I think that we're going to be a much-improved free-throw shooting team, hopefully somewhere around 75, 76, and we hope we can improve our three-point shooting up, up to at least 38, 39%, somewhere in that, that range, uh, improvement over 35 and then I think the experience and, and coming off being healthy with a much better defensive effort uh, than we had uh, beginning of the year last year, I think we have a chance to be another surprise team in the ACC. Leonard, I want to go back a little bit, and I think people forget that the Miami program that we see now that is competing you know, for upper tier of the ACC, they've had good runs where they won the ACC, a lot of that credit should go to you. You know, back in 1991, Miami was sort of with a restart, if you will, which is very odd in college athletics. And they were an independent, um, joined the Big East in 91. And you get them all the way to your last three seasons. You're all in the NCAA, even to the Sweet 16 in 99-2000. If you can go back to that 90-91 season, what was it like to know that you had to sort of take a program at a major university and build it back up from the from basically from the ground, uh, you know, from from the rubble, if you will, to what it is really today? Well, I, I was excited about it because I realized, uh, being an assistant coach at the University of Kentucky for twelve years, that 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 was the type of situations that I that I needed to be in those those programs that need just a little fixing up. I thought that's where my skill set could better could best be utilized, going somewhere and building programs. Uh, it was very difficult uh, that year. We went 0-18 in, in the Big East. That was one of the more challenging experiences that I've ever had to go through. But the last five years, I think we might have tied Connecticut for the most number of victories in the ACC. I mean, I'm sorry, in the Big East. And we, we uh, won the, the Big East championship as well. So that was extremely challenging, but it's program time during my coaching career, but, but I also enjoyed it. Uh, it. It kept you focused. I think we learned that we had to communicate better. Uh, we had to uh, learn how to be better skilled developers. We had to develop a system of how we communicate with our kids and how we had to stay positive. And I think all those things that we had to learn to grow, to take over a program like that at the bottom and, and, and be successful with it, it was worthwhile in my coaching career because you're put in a situation where you're doing something that no one else has had, has been able to do, but more than anything else, where most people didn't feel that we were capable of doing it. And it, that motivates you. It keeps you inspired. And it's really something that, uh, that I'm very proud of. One of the things, Cash, that I'm mostly proud of at Florida State, I've had um, 63 seniors, I believe, 63 seniors, and 61 have graduated. At Miami, we only had three kids not graduate in the 10 years I was there that they got to be seniors. So I, th I think that we are representing what we're supposed to, to be doing. We're taking youngsters at a period in their life, teenagers, and we're ushering them into a young adulthood. And all the things that go th into that sometimes get lost in the exposure that college basketball gets. I I'm more happier when they invite me to their weddings when they want me to be the godfather of the kids, when they want to seek me out for advice, doing some of those most important decisions that they're making in their life. So that's what coaching is all about from my standpoint. I've been very fortunate to have a lot of watches and rings and NCAA trips and Coach of the Year awards. But I really am very proud of the fact that I think we represent what college basketball is all about. 
So in 26 years, we've only had five kids that not graduate uh, that have gotten to be uh, uh, that have been seniors. And so I'm very proud of that. That gets lost in the shuffle of college sports because I think a lot of coaches enjoy that same level of relationship with their players. And I think sometimes that gets overlooked. I want to go back to that one season, 2000, 2001, because I think, uh, you know, today's generation and we're already into a new generation. They may forget that you were the head coach of the Washington Wizards for a year with Michael Jordan. I mean, that, that, that was the Jordan era with the Wizards where you were plucked by, you know, that organization uh, from Miami. This is set, sort of wedged in between Miami and Florida State that one year. How did that come about for people that don't know your relationship with Jordan, where you were selected to be that head coach? Well, I, I think Michael was in the process of wanting to find someone from the college ranks to come in and have a little more patience for whatever reason. Uh, he thought that we we had the philosophies that uh, w- would be helpful in what he was trying to do there. And then I think that it became apparent to him that he needed to come back and play from a business standpoint to do whatever he thought that needed to be done with the franchise. And and I felt very fortunate that and that he gave me the opportunity that particular year, you know, to be part of the organization. And I think that when he brought, when he decided he came back to play, uh, like most coaches, I mean, Doug Collins was an experienced NBA coach and uh, they had certain things that they wanted to do. And I just felt very fortunate to have, had, to have the opportunity to be a part of that. I think that also had a lot to do with shaping my philosophy of, of, of what we do on the college level. And I think a lot of what our philosophies that we utilize now, we picked up by having that year in the NBA. And I think if you watch our teams play now, we probably play a little bit more like some of the teams with the, the faster pace, the, the, the move, ball movement, the number of passes that they make, the, the ways the players cut and move. I think we've kind of picked a lot of this, our system up as a result of being in the NBA. You know, I've brought this up before. I marvel at how great you look, okay? <laughs> and you just had a birthday in August. You turned 70. Uh, what's your secret? You know, I, I think I eat right, but I think I've been very fortunate to have a, a, a very strong spiritual life uh, that keeps me grounded. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I don't allow myself to get too stressed. I realized that uh, that we all have a purpose that God has put us all of us here on earth to complete. And I feel confident that uh, I'm doing what my purpose is. I'm trying to fulfill the purpose I think that God has for me. And, and how you understand that, that you're fulfilling that purpose is that there's a piece of understanding that comes over you uh, that, that go, goes with, uh, through, uh, over uh, uh, without, you know, understanding. And for me, I enjoy going to work each and every day. I enjoy working with the young people. I feel comfortable and excited for each game. Uh, I have been blessed with good health where I don't know, I don't really feel tired or run down because I'm always excited about what I'm doing and I enjoy what I do and I understand. I feel very confident that what we do has a very important value to young people in their lives and we take it seriously. And I think, you know, I eat right. I exercise somewhat. Uh, and I think I have, my mother was 97, so she gave me some good genes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So with that being said, how does Leonard Hamilton chill? How does he just check out and relax? Well, people, a lot of people don't know this, but I, I have a gospel music label, a music label where, I, you know, I, we write, we p- produce gospel music. 
And so in, in those times that I do have, I really, really enjoy listening to gospel music, number one, but I also collect old school uh, DVD concerts. And, and I mean, like I have, I have uh, Frankie Valley uh, and, and, and the Four Seasons live from 1963 in concert in Chicago. I have Woodstock. I have James Brown live from 1968. Michael, jo- Michael Jackson singing uh, uh, I Want You Back on the Ed Sullivan Show. I got Stephen Wonder in concert when he was 12 years old uh, singing Fingertips. I mean, I collect those things. And when I have moments, you know, I get my iPads out and I go down in my man cave and I'll put on some old school gospel music or old school DVD concerts and I relax for a little bit before I start watching game films <laughs> and start throwing ice cream cups at the screen for mistakes that we make. <laughs> How often have you brought the music into the locker room to sort of, uh, you are an educator, to educate these these players of yours on the beauty of the music from the 60s? and I don't cross that line okay, <laughs> because uh, I'm not real sure uh, that they would enjoy uh, the type of music that I, that I enjoy. Sometimes I, I'll kid around with them. I'll turn my music up real loud as I'm pulling up in my car when we may have some activities and I'll be blasting my music, but it won't be the same kind of music <laughs> that they're listening to. <laughs> One day they will appreciate it, though. <laughs> I'm sure they will. We all do. <laughs> well, Leonard, I appreciate you joining me here on March Madness 365. As always, keep drinking from that fountain of youth, and I know Florida State will once again be a factor in the ACC. Well, I tell you what, though, we're we going to be a, another surprise team. I really like this team, Cats. I really do. Andy, I really love this team. I think we have some ingredients. Uh, we got some junkyard dogs, and I think we have a little bit better shooting skills, and we're really, really excited about the upcoming season. So watch out for those Seminoles. And when we come back here on March Madness 365, my fast break interview with Indiana's Juwan Morgan. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Juwan Morgan from Indiana. So we're going to get right to it. Juwan, why did you decide to return for your senior season? Um, I just felt like it was the best choice for me um, going forward. I do feel like I would be able to be an NBA caliber player, but I just feel like it wasn't my time at the moment. And then also... With all the guys returning and then the guys coming in, I just felt like we had something special brewing here in Indiana. So I felt like I really wanted to be a part of it. You've had an eyewitness sort of look of Romeo Langford, highly touted recruit with this Indiana program. What are your impressions? I believe all the hype, just not even that his scoring ability, but just his ability to be a factor on the court in every single way. Um, on both ends of the floor, and that goes for uh, every all the new guys coming in as well. How will the two of you coexist? I don't think that'll be a problem ever. I think just whoever is having the better game, it will be the one, the focal point, and that's just fine with me. If there's one aspect of your game that you think you improved the most from your sophomore to your junior season, what was it? Uh, I would say it was my mindset. I felt like I just had the I had the skills, but it was just actually accepting that role and doing something with it. I think that was the biggest thing. In flirting, even considering maybe leaving for the NBA, what did you learn about yourself? I learned I had to eat better. I learned that uh, what it takes to get to the league is a lot more than what meets the eye. And I learned that it's a, it's a huge mental battle as far as um, working on your body, 
making sure you're always recovering, making sure your body's healthy to go and things like that. What will fans, Indiana fans, notice the most in sort of the change from year one to year two of the Archie Miller program? Um, I think you they'll see a more just collective group because just as they were, it was our first year with Coach Miller too, and we were just learning system and everything. But now, I think now that we have a year under our belt, we know what to expect things like that i think we're able to teach the younger guys better than that so i think uh they'll see a more uh close-knit group than they did last year so you and romeo obviously are the highest profile names returning or at least part of this indiana team if there's at least one other player uh, you can give me more than one uh that you think will surprise some people because you've been seeing them in practice here before the start of the official practice if you will who are they i'm gonna say justin evan and race and al will be the biggest surprises. All right, you rattled off four. Why? Just they their whole mindset is different coming to the game. And then Evan, it being his uh, first year, but just from what we learned about him just through watching his uh, workouts with us and then what we saw uh, from him before at St. Mary's, uh, he'll surprise a lot of people just off how hard he's working and how much he's changing his game so that he'll be able to uh, fit in with the system we're running. Look, I've been at a number of just unbelievable games in Bloomington at Assembly Hall with that unbelievable atmosphere. What's it like to walk out when you've got a team like Duke or teams like that or when it's a big-time Big Ten game and everything's on the line and the, and the, the place is just ready to pop? What's that like for the player when you walk out onto the floor during warm-ups where you can just feel that energy? Uh, I don't think there's anything like it. It's just the most amazing feeling with the best fans in uh, basketball. I just think it's it's crazy. It's really surreal just walking out there and seeing everybody out there probably an hour, hour and a half before the game. It's just amazing. All right, so you've played all over the country, but especially in the Big Ten. Which arena do you relish going into more than maybe any other because you know it's going to be a great atmosphere? I'd have to say Michigan. I, I love playing in Michigan. And why is that? I don't, I don't know what it is about it, but it's just – it just gets gives, gets me hype. Uh, I just love going in there. I'm always ready to go right from the get-go against Michigan. All right, last question. Help me complete this sentence. Indiana will make the NCAA tournament if? There is no if. We will. I love it. <laughs> Thank you, Juwan. Thank you. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. We hope you like the new format of the show. Big interview, fast-break interview. We're going to review the rankings storylines from the week as we get closer and closer to the beginning of the season. Media days are all going to start happening next week. And I really appreciate everyone out there downloading, listening it from across the country, different schools, and certainly those that are diehard fans of college basketball. As always, you can find this podcast wherever you find your Turner Podcast Network and on all our social media platforms from NCAA.com to March Madness. Appreciate you listening. I'm Andy Katz. We'll see you next week. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply.
You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip-off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply.